Chapter Twenty Nine of the Italian. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kathy Barrett. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe. Chapter Twenty Nine. The time shall come when Gloucester's heart shall bleed in life's last hours with horrors of the deed, when dreary visions shall at last present thy vengeful image. Collins. When the night of Scadoni's trial arrived, Vivaldi was again summoned to the hall of the tribunal. Every circumstance was now arranged according to the full ceremonies of the place. The members of the tribunal were more numerous than formerly at the examinations. The chief inquisitors wore habits of a fashion different from those which before distinguished them, and their turbans, of a singular form and larger size, seemed to give an air of sterner ferocity to their features. The hall, as usual, was hung with black, and every person who appeared there, whether inquisitor, official, witness, or prisoner, was habited in the same dismal hue, which, together with the kind of light diffused through the chamber from lamps hung high in the vaulted roof, and from torches held by parties of officials who kept watch at the several doors, and in different parts of this immense hall, gave a character of gloomy solemnity to the assembly, which was almost horrific. Vivaldi was situated in a place whence he beheld the whole of the tribunal, and could distinguish whatever was passing in the hall. The countenance of every member was now fully displayed to him by the torchmen, who arranged at the steps of the platform on which the three chief inquisitors were elevated, extended in a semicircle on either hand of the place occupied by the inferior members. The red glare which the torches threw upon the latter certainly did not soften the expression of faces, for the most part sculptured by passions of dark malignity or fiercer cruelty, and Vivaldi could not bear even to examine them long. Before the bar of the tribunal he distinguished Scadoni, and little did he suspect that in him a criminal brought thither to answer for the guilt of murder, the murder of a brother and of a wife, he beheld the parent of Elena di Rosalba. Near Scadoni was seated the penitentiary Ansaldo, the Roman priest, who was to be a principal witness, and Father Nicola di Zampari, upon whom Vivaldi could not even now look without experiencing somewhat of the awe which had prevailed over his mind when he was inclined to consider the stranger rather as the vision of another world than as a being of this. The same wild and indescribable character still distinguished his air, his every look and movement, and Vivaldi could not but believe that something in the highest degree extraordinary would yet be discovered concerning him. The witnesses being called over, Vivaldi understood that he was placed among them, though he had only repeated the words which Father Nicola had spoken, and which, since Nicola himself was present as a witness against Scadoni, he did not perceive could be in the least material on the trial. When Vivaldi had in his turn answered to his name, a voice, bursting forth from a distant part of the hall, exclaimed, "'It is my master, my dear master!' and on directing his eyes whence it came, he perceived the faithful Paolo struggling with his guard. Vivaldi called to him to be patient, and to forbear resistance, an exhortation, however, which served only to increase the efforts of the servant for liberty, and in the next instant he broke from the grasp of the officials, and darting towards Vivaldi, fell at his feet, sobbing, and clasping his knees, and exclaiming, "'Oh, my master, my master, have I found you at last!' Vivaldi, as much affected by this meeting as Paolo, could not immediately speak. 
he would however have raised and embraced his affectionate servant but paolo still clinging to his knees and sobbing was so much agitated that he scarcely understood anything said to him and to the kind assurances and gentle remonstrances of vivaldi constantly replied as if to the officers whom he fancied to be forcing him away remember your situation paolo said vivaldi consider mine also and be governed by prudence you shall not force me hence cried paolo you can take my life only once if i must die it shall be here recollect yourself paolo and be composed your life i trust is in no danger paolo looked up and again bursting into a passion of tears repeated oh my master my master where have you been all this while are you indeed alive i thought i should never see you again i have dreamt an hundred times that you were dead and buried and i wished to be dead and buried with you i thought you was gone out of this world into the next i feared you was gone to heaven and so believed we should never meet again but now i see you once more and know that you live oh my master my master the officers who had followed paolo now endeavouring to withdraw him he became more outrageous do your worst at once said he but you shall find tough work of it if you try to force me from hence so you had better be contented with killing me here the incensed officials were laying violent hands upon him when vivaldi interposed i entreat i supplicate you said he that you will suffer him to remain near me it is impossible replied an officer we dare not i will promise that he shall not even speak to me if you will only allow him to be near added vivaldi not speak to you master exclaimed paolo but i will stay with you and speak to you as long as i like till my last gasp let them do their worst at once i defy them all and all the devils of inquisitors at their heels too to force me away i can die but once and they ought to be satisfied with that so what is there to be afraid of not speak he knows not what he says said vivaldi to the officials while he endeavoured to silence paolo with his hand i am certain that he will submit to whatever i shall require of him and will be entirely silent or if he does speak now and then it shall be only in a whisper a whisper said an officer sneeringly do you suppose signor that any person is suffered to speak in a whisper here a whisper shouted paolo i scorn to speak in a whisper i will speak so loud that every word i say shall ring in the ears of all those old black devils on the benches yonder ay and those on that mountebank stage too that sit there looking so grim and angry as if they longed to tear us in pieces they silence said vivaldi with emphasis paolo i command you to be silent they shall know a bit of my mind continued paolo without noticing vivaldi i will tell them what they have to expect for all their cruel usage of my poor master where do they expect to go when they die i wonder though for that matter they cannot go to a worse place than they are in already and i suppose it is knowing that which makes them not afraid of being ever so wicked they shall hear a little plain truth for once in their lives however they shall hear during the whole of this harangue vivaldi alarmed for the consequence of such imprudent though honest indignation had been using all possible effort to silence him and was the more alarmed since the officials made no further attempt to interrupt paolo a forbearance which vivaldi attributed to malignity and to a wish that paolo might be entrapped by his own act at length he made himself heard i entreat said vivaldi paolo stopped for a moment paolo rejoined vivaldi earnestly do you love your master of my master 
said paolo resentfully without allowing vivaldi to finish his sentence have i not gone through fire and water for him or what is as good have i not put myself into the inquisition and all on his account and now to be asked do i love my master if you believe signor that anything else made me come here into these dismal holes you are quite entirely out and when they have made an end of me as i suppose they will do before all is over you will perhaps think better of me than to suspect that i came here for my own pleasure all that may be as you say paolo replied vivaldi coldly while he with difficulty commanded his tears but your immediate submission is the only conduct that can convince me of the sincerity of your professions i entreat you to be silent entreat me said paolo oh my master what have i done that it should come to this entreat me he repeated sobbing you will then give me this proof of your attachment asked vivaldi do not use such a heart-breaking word again master replied paolo while he dashed the tears from his cheek such a heart-breaking word and i will do anything you submit to what i require then paolo ay signor if if it is even to kneel at the feet of that devil of an inquisitor yonder i shall only require you to be silent replied vivaldi and you may then be permitted to remain near me well signor well i will do as you bid me then and only just say not a syllable paolo interrupted vivaldi only just say master not a word i entreat you added vivaldi or you will be removed immediately his removal does not depend on that said one of the officials breaking from his watchful silence he must go and that without more delay what after i have promised not to open my lips said paolo do you pretend to break your agreement there is no presence and there was no agreement replied the man sharply so obey directly or it will be the worse for you the officials were provoked and paolo became still more enraged and clamorous till at length the uproar reached the tribunal at the other end of the hall and silence having been commanded an inquiry was made into the cause of the confusion the consequence of this was an order that paolo should withdraw from vivaldi but as at this moment he feared no greater evil he gave his refusal to the tribunal with as little ceremony as he had done before to the officials at length after much difficulty a sort of compromise was made and paolo being soothed by his master into some degree of compliance was suffered to remain within a short distance of him the business of the trial soon after commenced and saldo the penitentiary and father nicola appeared as witnesses as did also the roman priest who had assisted in taking the depositions of the dying assassin he had been privately interrogated and had given clear and satisfactory evidence as to the truth of the paper produced by nicola other witnesses also had been subpoenaed whom scadoni had no expectation of meeting the deportment of the confessor on first entering the hall was collected and firm it remained unchanged when the roman priest was brought forward but on the appearance of another witness his courage seemed to falter before this evidence was however called for the depositions of the assassin were publicly read they stated with the closest conciseness the chief facts of which the following is a somewhat more dilated narrative it appeared that about the year seventeen forty two the late count di bruno had passed over into greece a journey which his brother the present confessor having long expected had meditated to take advantage of though a lawless passion had first suggested to the dark mind of scadoni the atrocious act which should destroy a brother many circumstances and considerations had conspired to urge him towards its accomplishment 
among these was the conduct of the late count towards himself which however reasonable as it had contradicted his own selfish gratifications and added strong reproof to opposition had excited his most inveterate hatred scudoni who as a younger brother of his family bore at that time the title of count di marinella had dissipated his small patrimony at a very early age but though suffering might then have taught him prudence it had only encouraged him in duplicity and rendered him more eager to seek a temporary refuge in the same habits of extravagance which had led to it the count di bruno though his fortune was very limited had afforded frequent supplies to his brother till finding that he was incorrigible and that the sums which he himself spared with difficulty from his family were lavished without remorse by marinella instead of being applied with economy to his support he refused further aid than was sufficient for his absolute necessities it would be difficult for a candid mind to believe how a conduct so reasonable could possibly excite hatred in any breast or that the power of selfishness could so far warp any understanding as to induce marinella whom we will in future again call scadoni to look upon his brother with detestation because he had refused to ruin himself that his kinsman might revel yet it is certain that scudoni terming the necessary prudence of di bruno to be meanness and cold insensibility to the comfort of others suffered full as much resentment towards him from system as he did from passion though the meanness and the insensibility he imagined in his brother's character were not only real traits in his own but were displaying themselves in the very arguments he urged against them the rancour thus excited was cherished by innumerable circumstances and ripened by envy that meanest and most malignant of the human passions by envy of de bruno's blessings of an unencumbered estate and of a beautiful wife he was tempted to perpetrate the deed which might transfer those blessings to himself spalatro whom he employed to this purpose was well known to him and he did not fear to confide the conduct of the crime to this man who was to purchase a little habitation on the remote shore of the adriatic and with a certain stipend to reside there the ruinous dwelling to which elena had been carried as its solitary situation suited scudoni's views was taken for him scudoni who had good intelligence of all di bruno's movements acquainted spalatro from time to time with his exact situation and it was after di bruno on his return had crossed the adriatic from urgusi to manfredonia and was entering upon the woods of the garganus that spalatro with his comrade overtook him they fired at the count and his attendants who were only a valet and a guide of the country and concealed among the thickets they securely repeated the attack the shot did not immediately succeed and the count looking round to discover his enemy prepared to defend himself but the firing was so rapidly sustained that at length both de bruno and his servant fell covered with wounds the guide fled the unfortunate travellers were buried by their assassins on the spot but whether the suspicion which attends upon the consciousness of guilt prompted spalatro to guard against every possibility of being betrayed by the accomplice of his crime or whatever was the motive he returned to the forest alone and shrouded by night removed the bodies to a pit which he had prepared under the flooring of the house where he lived thus displacing all proof should his accomplice hereafter point out to justice the spot in which he had assisted to deposit the mangled remains of di bruno scudoni contrived a plausible history of the shipwreck of his brother upon the adriatic and of the loss of the whole crew and as no persons but the assassins were acquainted with the real cause of his death the guide who had fled and the people at the only town he had passed through since he landed being ignorant even of the name of de bruno there was not any circumstance to contradict the falsehood 
it was universally credited and even the widow of the count had perhaps never doubted its truth or if after her compelled marriage with scadoni his conduct did awaken a suspicion it was too vague to produce any serious consequence during the reading of spalatro's confession and particularly at the conclusion of it the surprise and dismay of scadoni were too powerful for concealment and it was not the least considerable part of his wonder that spalatro should have come to rome for the purpose of making these depositions but further consideration gave him a conjecture of the truth the account which spalatro had given of his motive for this journey to the priest was that having lately understood scadoni to be resident at rome he had followed him thither with an intention of relieving his conscience by an acknowledgment of his own crimes and a disclosure of scadoni's this however was not exactly the fact the design of spalatro was to extort money from the guilty confessor a design from which the latter believed he had protected himself as well as from every other evil consequence when he misled his late accomplice respecting his place of residence little foreseeing that the very artifice which should send this man in search of him to rome instead of naples would be the means of bringing his crimes before the public spalatro had followed the steps of scadoni as far as the town at which he slept on the first night of his journey and having there passed him had reached the villa di cambrusca when perceiving the confessor approaching he had taken shelter from observation within the ruin the motive which before made him shrink from notice had contributed and still did so to a suspicion that he aimed at the life of scadoni who in wounding him believed he had saved himself from an assassin the wounds however of spalatro did not so much disable him but that he proceeded towards rome from the town whence the parting road had conducted his master towards naples the fatigue of a long journey performed chiefly on foot in spalatro's wounded condition occasioned a fever that terminated together his journey and his life and in his last hours he had unburdened his conscience by a full confession of his guilt the priest who on this occasion had been sent for alarmed by the importance of the confession since it implicated a living person called in a friend as witness to the depositions this witness was father nicola the former intimate of scadoni and who was of a character to rejoice in any discovery which might punish a man from whose repeated promises he had received only severe disappointments Scudoni now perceived that all his designs against Spalatro had failed, and he had meditated more than have yet been fully disclosed. It may be remembered that on parting with the peasant, his conductor, the confessor gave him a stiletto to defend him, as he said, from the attack of Spalatro, in case of encountering him on the road. The point of this instrument was tipped with poison, so that a scratch from it was sufficient to inflict death scadoni had for many years secretly carried about him such an envenomed instrument for reasons known only to himself he had hoped that should the peasant meet spalatro and be provoked to defend himself this stiletto would terminate the life of his accomplice and relieve him from all probability of discovery since the other assassin whom he employed had been dead several years the expedient failed in every respect the peasant did not even see spalatro and before he reached his home he luckily lost the fatal stiletto which as he had discovered himself to be acquainted with some circumstances connected with the crimes of scadoni the confessor would have wished him to keep from the chance that he might some time injure himself in using it the poniard as he had no proper means of fastening it to his dress had fallen and was carried away by the torrent he was crossing at that moment but if scadoni had been shocked by the confession of the assassin his dismay was considerably greater when a new witness was brought forward and he perceived an ancient domestic of his house 
this man identified scadoni for fernando count di bruno with whom he had lived as a servant after the death of the count his brother and not only did he bear testimony to the person of scadoni but to the death of the countess his wife giovanni declared himself to be one of the domestics who had assisted in conveying her to her apartment after she had been struck by the poniard of scadoni and who had afterwards attended her funeral in the church of the santa del miracoli a convent near the late residence of di bruno he further affirmed that the physicians had reported her death to be in consequence of the wound she had received and he bore witness to the flight of his master previous to the death of the countess and immediately upon the assassination and that he had never publicly appeared upon his state since that period an inquisitor asked whether any means had been taken by the relations of the deceased lady toward the prosecution of the count the witness replied that a long search had been made for the count for such a purpose but that he had wholly eluded discovery and that of course no further step had been taken in the affair this reply appeared to occasion dissatisfaction the tribunal was silent and seemed to hesitate the vicar-general then addressed the witness how can you be certain that the person now before you calling himself father scadoni is the count di bruno your former master if you have never seen him during the long interval of years you mention giovanni without hesitation answered that though years had worn the features of the count he recollected them the moment he beheld him and not the count only but the person of the penitentiary ansaldo whom he had seen a frequent visitor at the house of di bruno though his appearance also was considerably changed by time and by the ecclesiastical habit which he now wore the vicar-general seemed still to doubt the evidence of this man till ansaldo himself on being called upon remembered him to have been a servant of the count though he could not identify the count himself the grand inquisitor remarked that it was extraordinary he should recollect the face of the servant yet forget that of the master with whom he had lived in habits of intimacy to this ansaldo replied that the stronger passions of scadoni together with his particular habits of life might reasonably be supposed to have wrought a greater change upon the features of the count than the character and circumstances of giovanni's could have effected on his scadoni not without reason was appalled on the appearance of this servant whose further testimony gave such clearness and force to some other parts of the evidence that the tribunal pronounced sentence upon scadoni as the murderer of the count his brother and as this the first charge was sufficient for his condemnation to death they did not proceed upon the second that which related to his wife the emotion betrayed by scadoni on the appearance of the last witness and during the delivery of the evidence disappeared when his fate became certain and when the dreadful sentence of the law was pronounced it made no visible impression on his mind from that moment his firmness or his hardihood never forsook him vivaldi who witnessed this condemnation appeared infinitely more affected by it than himself and though in revealing the circumstance of father nicholas summons which had eventually led to the discovery of scadoni's crimes he had not been left a choice in his conduct he felt at this moment as miserable as if he had actually borne witness against the life of a fellow-being what then would have been his feelings had he been told that this scadoni thus condemned was the father of elena di rosalba but whatever these might be he was soon condemned to experience them one of the most powerful of scadoni's passions appeared even in this last scene and as in quitting the tribunal he passed near vivaldi he uttered these few words in me you have murdered the father of elena di rosalba not with any hope that the intercession of vivaldi himself also a prisoner could in the least mitigate a sentence pronounced by the inquisition did he say this 
but for the purpose of revenging himself for the evil which vivaldi's evidence had contributed to produce and inflicting the exquisite misery such information must give the attempt succeeded too well at first indeed vivaldi judged this to be only the desperate assertion of a man who believed his last chance of escaping the rigour of the law to rest with him and at the mention of elena forgetting every precaution he loudly demanded to know her situation scudoni throwing upon him a horrible smile of triumph and derision was passing forward without replying but vivaldi unable to support this state of uncertainty asked permission of the tribunal to converse for a few moments with the prisoner a request which was granted with extreme reluctance and only on condition that the conversation should be public to vivaldi's questions as to the situation of elena scudoni only replied that she was his daughter and the solemnity which accompanied these repeated assertions though it failed to convince vivaldi of this truth occasioned him agonizing doubt and apprehension but when the confessor perceiving the policy of disclosing her place of residence to vivaldi softened from his desire of vengeance to secure the interest of his family and named the santa della pieta as her present asylum the joy of such intelligence overcame for a time every other consideration to this dialogue however the officials put a speedy conclusion scudoni was led back to his cell and vivaldi was soon after ordered to his former close confinement but paolo became again outrageous when he was about to be separated from his master till the latter having petitioned the tribunal that his servant might accompany him to his prison and received an absolute refusal endeavoured to calm the violence of his despair he fell at his master's feet and shed tears but he uttered no further complaints when he rose he turned his eyes in silence upon vivaldi and they seemed to say dear master i shall never see you more and with this sad expression he continued to gaze on him till he had left the hall vivaldi notwithstanding the various subjects of his distress could not bear to meet the piteous looks of this poor man and he withdrew his eyes yet at every other step he took they constantly returned to his faithful servant till the doors folded him from sight when he had quitted the hall vivaldi pleaded however hopelessly to the officials in favour of paolo entreating that they would speak to the persons who kept guard over him and prevail with them to show him every allowable indulgence no indulgence can be allowed him replied one of the men except bread and water and the liberty of walking in his cell no other said vivaldi none repeated the official this prisoner has been near getting one of his guards into a scrape already for somehow or other he so talked him over and won upon him for he is but a young one here that the man let him have a light and a pen and ink but luckily it was found out before any harm was done and what became of this honest fellow inquired vivaldi honest he was none so honest either signor if he could not mind his duty was he punished then no signor replied the man pausing and looking back upon the long avenue they were passing to inquire whether he was observed to hold this conversation with a prisoner no signor he was a yonker so they let him off for once and sent him to guard a man who was not so full of his coaxing ways paolo made him marry perhaps asked vivaldi what were the coaxing ways you spoke of marry signor no he made him cry and that was as bad indeed said vivaldi the man must have been here then a very short time not more than a month or so signor but the coaxing ways you talked of repeated vivaldi what are they a ducat or so a ducat exclaimed the man no not a paolo are you sure of that cried vivaldi shrewdly 
aye sure enough signor this fellow is not worth a ducat in the world but his master is friend observed vivaldi in a very low voice while he put some money into his hand the officer made no answer but concealed the money and nothing further was said vivaldi had given this as a bribe to procure some kindness for his servant not from any consideration of himself for his own critical situation had ceased at this time to be a subject of anxiety with him his mind was at present strangely agitated between emotions the most opposite in their nature the joy which a discovery of elena's safety inspired and the horrible suspicion that scadoni's assurances of relationship occasioned that his elena was the daughter of a murderer that the father of elena should be brought to ignominious death and that he himself however unintentionally should have assisted to this event were considerations almost too horrible to be sustained vivaldi sought refuge from them in various conjectures as to the motive which might have induced scadoni to assert a falsehood in this instance but that of revenge alone appeared plausible and even this surmise was weakened when he considered that the confessor had assured him of elena's safety an assurance which as vivaldi did not detect the selfish policy connected with it he believed scadoni would not have given had his general intent towards him been malicious but it was possible that this very information on which all his comfort reposed might be false and had been given only for the purpose of inflicting the anguish a discovery of the truth must lead to with an anxiety so intense as almost to overcome his faculty of judging he examined every minute probability relative to this point and concluded with believing that scadoni had in this last instance at least spoken honestly whether he had done so in his first assertion was a question which had raised in vivaldi's mind a tempest of conjecture and of horror for while the subject of it was too astonishing to be fully believed it was also too dreadful not to be apprehended even as a possibility End of chapter twenty nine